Welcome to Life Church Hurley's audio podcast. We hope this teaching will challenge you in any season of life you may be in. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll enjoy. All right, who's ready for the Word of God this morning? Anybody in the house? Because uh, I'm, I'm ready to... So um, Leah was telling me that God woke her up at 3 a.m. in the morning and gave her that song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, uh, which I think was written in like the 1800s or something. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. That's, joking. That's an old song. And so when she went to go play it, I was like, all right. And what I was saying is if God wakes you up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and gives you a song, then that's his heart. And here he is declaring over us, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. I didn't know that until I got this mor- got here this morning. Um, and so I, I said, God, show me something. Well, if that's your heart, if that's what, and they barely sing it. They only sing like two, two lines of it. And so I said, you know, God, what are you doing? I opened my, book, my Bible uh, to the book of Acts, and immediately there it was right there. That was the first thing. I opened it up, and, and there it was right there. So if you have your scripture, I wasn't planning on preaching this this morning. I don't know that I'll preach it, but I think we should just hear what God's going to say. Uh, Acts chapter 7, and we'll start at verse 37. And again, this was not prepared, so uh, forgive me, but I I just want to read through it and um, see what God's saying to us this morning, and then we'll preach maybe. Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 37, it says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. Talking about Jesus. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey. Talking about Moses, but he rejected, but they rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's gone insane. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets And he said, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Repham, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, and he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. His son Solomon built God a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? Amen. That's good stuff right there. And if you go on, it talks about the resistance of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and it's, it's amazing what God does. He stays so consistent because you see the children of Israel, there they are with Moses, and Moses is trying to tell them about who God is. And what did they say? They said, you know what? Forget God and his ways. They said, build for us something. And I was thinking about that as we were worshiping this morning. And as she was saying, build for me a temple, he wasn't talking about go and build a building, although that's fine. We have to have buildings. We have to have AC, apparently. We have to have sound systems, whatever, right? He was saying, build for me in yourself a temple, that you are the temple of the Lord. But man, it is so easy to build a temple of man 
It's so easy to build something by hand. And then we go look at what we built and we rejoice just like the children of Israel. And we say, this, what we built is really what God meant. And we build something. We go, well, God, you can, you can live here and we'll come and visit you every once in a while. And, and since you're there, now we know where you dwell. And because you dwell there, now we can leave and go do whatever and then come back to the spirit of God. But God doesn't work that way. He said, forget what man made and make for me a temple of the Lord. A temple that never leaves the Spirit of God. That no matter where you are, that's where the Spirit is dwelling. And he's talking about me and you. That everywhere we go, everywhere we walk, we are the temple of the Lord. The, the, the Spirit dwells within us. Amen? He says, forget what you made. Forget what you made with your hands. I think that is a calling of the Lord this morning, especially as we've, we've entered into a building phase here and we're, we've been making plans for months and, and, and we're, we're calling on people to have a heart for God and his temple, but it is never, never about a building. Amen. I almost shut down service a minute ago because I, I wanted to minister to one person and I wanted to stand there and minister and you, you, you would have just had, kept having countdowns go over and over and over again. It is about what God's ministry is through us. Amen. And if we ever get this thought that God's spirit dwells in some temple made by man, then you're going to miss God the rest of the week. And you're going to wait for him and say, well, when I get there, God will be there and God's going to speak to me over there and God's going to give something to me over there. But I ain't there yet. But when I get there, God's going to do something good. Amen. God says, I walk and dwell with you. And so God's purpose is to speak to us and to be known by us constantly and permanently. That the Spirit wants to move and speak through us at every moment of the day. And it doesn't matter if you come in on a Sunday morning and you get all dressed. Do you know that God is no holier today than he is tomorrow? Do you know that God doesn't move any less when he's at your house than he does when he's in this house? God doesn't speak any less through you. I, I know that sometimes we walk in and, man, you've got a word for somebody. Do you know that word is still there when you go home? It's not like it, it's not like God, you walk in and, and God just goes, okay, now I can move. God, God is always and constant. Last week, we looked at the fact that God gives us dreams, that God has a dream within our heart. And do you know, and as we said last week, that every God-given dream is prophetic. Every God-given dream is prophetic. It speaks to your future, even when it resolves an issue from, from your past. It's still prophetic for your future. Amen. And God is speaking something to us that, that the dreams that he, give, he gives us are to be lived today. As soon as God gives you a dream, he says, wake up and actually start living the dream that God gave you. Amen. That's good stuff. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, last week we looked at Jacob and how God gave Jacob a dream. And then instantly Jacob woke up and he started living according to the dream. I want you to read that verse. Look at this. This is, this is what happens as soon as Jacob wakes up. Verse 16, Genesis 28, 16. First thing is Jacob woke up from his sleep, which is important because you can't dream and live the dream. And he thought to himself, surely the Lord is in this place and I, what? did not know it or was not aware of it. And that's the thing. Dreams given by God are for us to know him and to trust him more. Every God-given dream is so that we will know God better than we did yesterday. Amen. The very fact that the first thing that Jacob said was God is in this place and then he says, I didn't know he was in this place, is blaring from heaven the very reason the dream was given. God says, I know you didn't know I was in this place. That's why I gave you the dream. Because you were unaware of me. 
And so therefore, I had to give you a dream so you would be aware that I existed in the first place. And your dream that God has given you is for the very same reason. God wants to you to know that he's in your future. And you didn't know that God was in your future until he gave you a dream for your future. The very reason that God gives us these things and the very reason he speaks prophetic things over us and the very reason that these ladies who go on this ladies retreat and they're there and they're prophesying each, over each, each other, the very reason he does that is to be known better by you. You see, your dream is, is for you and God, a God-given dream will always involve other people, always. But you know what it is at the core? For God to be known better by you. Even in places where you would look and you would say, I didn't even know God existed here. Even in a marriage where you say, I didn't know that God could ever dwell in this place. And God gives you a dream for your marriage. And you say, God is in this place. Even in a, a job that you call the opposite of heaven. <laughs> Some of y'all been reading that King James again. I, and God gives you a dream for that place. And you wake up and say, God, I didn't even know that you could be in a place like this. The very reason is because God wants you to know that he's in your future. That's good. It is possible as Jacob to be standing in the very place that God reserved for you and you don't even know that God reserved it for you. Man, how, have you ever heard those stories of people who knew their spouse for a long time as children? And then they knew that they were friends. We were watching the Lion King Jr. the play last night and they had the, the little cubs and, and they, they were saying, you know, one day y'all got to get married because you're royalty and y'all got to get married together. And they're like, we can't get married. We're friends. And there's this, idea that I didn't even know what I didn't know. And God says, sometimes you walk into a place and you don't even know why you're there. And you don't even know that the Spirit of God is dwelling in that place. You don't even know that I've called it by a different name and I've reserved this place and this time for you. But you're just so frustrated by your circumstances that you don't even recognize that God is there. But God calls you to it and He says, I'm going to give you a dream for this place. And then you'll know that I am here. And then you'll know that what I'm doing has always been a God thing since the very beginning. Sometimes we're in a place that we don't even know if it's God's desire or, or why he wants us there. But the end result is always to be known by you better. Now imagine the moment you're in a place that you don't want to be, that you thought you were just passing through. And it occurs to you that God is there. What a revelation knowledge that is. That the place where you're standing, that you thought you were just sleeping and staying over, is actually the place that God brought you to and reserved for you. Can you imagine how your countenance would change from one moment to the next? Can you imagine the words that would come out of your mouth that would be different today than they were yesterday. Have you ever had a moment where you had an encounter with God and then life literally changed? That's what a God dream will do. A God dream will answer a lot of questions, even questions you didn't know that you had. And when God works, our understanding is open to a much bigger picture of life, a much bigger purpose, and we find God in ourselves. Now I want you to, this is Palm Sunday. You're probably thinking we're nowhere near Palm Sunday. But I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Because since the very beginning, we have the fall of man, we have creation of man, then the fall of man almost instantly, because we're really good at being humans. At the very beginning, God gives his people 
a dream of a Savior. You see, as soon as man falls, God says, don't be dismayed. There's hope. There's something coming. There's someone coming that will sustain you for a long time. I want you to look at the dream in Genesis chapter 3 that God places in the heart of every follower that would follow him. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, he spoke not to Adam and Eve, to the serpent, to the enemy. He says, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. And he says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put in enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of on the cross. And it's incredible that at the very beginning that God gives man a dream that he hears loud and clear spoken to the serpent. That for 4,000 years, 4,000 years, it's only been 2,000 since Jesus. Can you imagine 4,000 years since the fall of man all the way to Jesus that would sustain followers of the one true God for 4,000 years? That is what a God-given dream will do every single time. A God-given dream will make you hold on longer than you ever thought you could hold on because you know what God spoke and you know it's coming. And so when all hope is lost, you say, yes, but God gave me a dream. And so from generation to generation to generation, for 4,000 years, people had to say, yes, but God spoke it. You might not see it. It might not make sense. But God spoke it, so it will be just as God said. A God-given dream will sustain the generations in your family. That's why it is so important for you to know what God has spoken over your family. Because when disaster comes and when life looks like it will never be the same and God says, yes, you're, you're right, but here's what I said about it. That's what we hold on to. We don't hold on to the, to the disaster. We don't hold on to the words of, of man. We don't hold on to the words of, uh, of, of even what doctors say. We respect them. We honor them. But they ain't God. They ain't what my God said. And so we find ourselves, no matter what we go through, at ultimate peace because of an understanding about a God-given dream. So for 4,000 years, the church stood and says there will be a Savior. There will be a Savior who will love us. There will be a Savior who comes and, 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 and saves us from our sins. There will be a Savior. Amen. And there's one fact that we know. No matter how bad the world gets, and there are plenty of churches out there who love to focus on the end times, like it's the end of the world. One person got that. Come on. I said that off the top of my head. That was good. Here's what we know. That the Savior is coming back for His church. And regardless of what the enemy does, regardless of what countries do or leaders do, my Savior's coming back. And my hope is found not in my abilities or, or not in what man has made, but my hope is found in the fact that my Savior is returning. And no matter what dream you have, a God-given dream in your heart, that is the best dream that you could ever have. And God has guaranteed that the dream He has put in our heart will be. And it doesn't matter if it takes another 2,000 years, which I, I don't believe that's going to happen. It doesn't matter because the dream will sustain you every single time. Every dream guides the hearer closer to God. That's the entire purpose of the dream. Jesus walking the earth was about a finality to the dream of a Savior. A drawing back of people to God. Palm Sunday happens 
As Jesus is walking the earth, here's the promised dream for 4,000 years. There's this promise that a Savior is coming. Jesus finally comes, and he doesn't look anything like they thought he was going to look. He comes in the form, not of a mighty warrior, but a little bitty baby. What a disappointment for a lot of people during that time. Because now they got to wait for him to grow up and, and see if he's going to be who they think he is. And they don't even know. They're not even sure. And, and there's all these questions. He's not in the form that he, they thought that he was going to come in. But, but there he is regardless. And then we have this moment where the person they waited on for 4,000 years is being welcomed in to Jerusalem. We have this, what your scripture might call it. There's like a title at the top. It says the triumphant entry. Wow. That's mighty, right? That sounds so good. The triumphant entry. I don't know who came up with that, but it was pretty good. I want you to read with me the triumphant entry of the Savior of the world, which is a dream for 4,000 years, finally coming in to Jerusalem and getting the welcome that he deserves. Mark chapter 11, verse 8. This tree's getting on my nerves. Gotta move. All up in my business. See. The palm tree on Palm Sunday, man. I'm about to preach a whole different message now. That was good. Getting on my nerves. All right, Mark chapter 11, verse 8. It said that many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches, which I'm about to do, from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cry out. And y'all say it with me. Hosanna. Man, that's so good. And they cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Yeah, so good. <laughs> so good. The thing is, we know the rest of the story. So it seemingly looks like the greatest moment of an earthly ministry. Jesus walking in. This is it. Cut down the trees. It ain't going to matter because he's going to take over and we're going to rule with Jesus. Even up to the last moment, his disciples are saying, Jesus, can I sit on your right and your left hand? Can we, can we rule with you, Jesus? And Jesus goes, you don't even understand what you're asking. Up until the last moment, they think that Jesus is going to bust in the door and take over the world. And so we have in our Bible the triumphant entry. Like Jesus just, He's triumphant in this moment. But we all know that it leads in this moment from the greatest public um, outward appearance of triumph is about to lead him actually to the cross. The greatest moment of betrayal, the lowest moment seemingly of Jesus' ministry. It's over. People would declare Look at this king of the Jews. Look, he's, he's a nobody. He's hanging on the cross next to two thieves. He's nothing. Y'all thought he was, so, y'all put palm branches on the road. And now look at your king. He is so poor and so pitiful. Y'all are foolish people. So the greatest moment of the dream for 4,000 years would then hang on the cross. So all the cheering and the adulation and and look at, look at us, and we're, we're his disciples now. You know what his disciples did? They ran away. When all the glory fades of man and, and all the things built by man's hand and, and the greatest temple, when all those things fade away and there's no glory to be had and there's nothing beautiful about it, man tends to run away from the things of God. And that's why God said, don't worry about those things in the first place. And then when they fade away, you won't be worried about them. Bishop Holder said this last week. Or, uh, actually, we were, we were having a little staff meeting that he called. I don't know how he does that. He just comes in town and he just, he just starts ruling the place. I don't know. But we're having this prayer time. And uh, he, he said this. He was talking about something that was going on. And he said, you know, 
Every time we have the greatest moment, the hilltop experience with God, the enemy's always waiting there. But he said it with an accent. And um, he, was, he, was talking about, he was talking about how the enemy's always waiting in the wings. And, and, and he, sh- he was sharing about how, um, about how Jesus was baptized by, by John. And the dove of the Holy Spirit comes down. And what does he say? This is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. Man, we have this great moment, right? of Jesus being honored by Father God and being confirmed by Him, Jesus being baptized in the water. It's, it's a great, great moment, right? And then what happens? What's the next word? It says, immediately. Immediately. That's the next word. Immediately, Jesus was led out and tempted by Satan. Do you know that following God will look a lot like Jesus' life of following God? And when you walk in and we have this greatest moment and this greatest celebration and everything's on cloud nine and God has given you a dream and your dream, look at your dream, there it goes. It's going to be amazing and pave the way for the dream. And we say, look what God has done. Do you know the next moment there's the enemy? And he's waiting in the wings saying, oh, Do you put your trust in things of man or do you put your trust in things of God? Because when the things of man fade away, where is your God? Remember what he asked in in the garden. Did God really say those things? Did God really say not to eat of the tree? And that's what he does every single time. Oh, really? You just had a great experience with God. You just had a great church service, the worship service. Man, you found your new church home. Really? You think is that good? And then you walk out and there's a temptation. There's a drawing away. There's hard times. There's there's things that happen and you're like, there's no way this could happen again to me. Why do these things always happen? And then you wonder where God is. The children of Israel were led out by Moses. It was this great moment where God delivered them. They were cheering God on. Yes, this is great. And the moment they came into trouble, what did they say? Moses is out of his mind. And we need something else. We need to worship something right now. It is the way of man to find a cheap replacement for God every single time. And so they find something that they can hold on to. So here we have this triumphant entry. And then immediately there's the enemy. And we see this sham conviction in front of the crowd. What do y'all want? Y'all, y'all want a murderer? Or you want Jesus? And, and Jesus is convicted on no account and taken to the cross to die one of the worst deaths in human history. The moment of celebration is always followed by the enemy going, yeah, right. Following God will look a lot like what following God for Jesus looked like. We will be no different because the enemy knows something that takes us a long time to learn. Y'all ready for this? Even Satan knows that God is good. Ain't that crazy? He knows that God is desiring eternity with us, with you. He knows that God will do whatever it takes for salvation. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that God is just. He knows that God is forgiving. Amen. And by the way, those last three things don't add up to me. That God is faithful, God is just, and God is forgiving. Those things don't add up. Can you imagine if you killed somebody? That's that's the top of the bad things to do, right? If you killed somebody just because you wanted to do it and then you go to trial and you're sitting before the judge and and, and what do you think the appropriate outcome of your trial should be? You die, right? Maybe electric chair or firing squad or Chinese water torture or something. But you think that's justified, right? Eye for an eye. Scripture says, check this out, 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, I did it, I murdered the guy, that was me. If we do that, if we confess to what we've done, 
Here's God. It says that God is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like standing before the judge saying, I killed the guy. I'm proud of it. That was me. And the judge goes, well, if I'm going to be just here today in front of these mighty people, if I'm going to be just in front of the lawyers and the justice system, then I forgive you. Does anybody in the room find that just? Does that make sense? Can you imagine if that happened to one of your family members? Maybe you've had that happen to your family members. Can you imagine if someone did something to you? Maybe they robbed your house. Maybe they burned your house down. Maybe they kicked your dog. And you go to court and you stand there and the guy's sitting over there all smug and he goes, yeah, I did it. And the judge goes, oh, thank you so much for admitting that. You're forgiven. How would you feel sitting on the other side of the room? But yet God says, I am faithful and I am just by forgiving you. How is God just? Because just means justice and justice means getting exactly what we deserve every single time. Just means the rules never change. Just means what he did for Andy and Renee, because they're a precious couple together, Princess Renee. And regular Andy. I'm kidding. That's, a, that's an inside joke between him, you know, whatever. The same decision that God made on their behalf. God said, in order to be just, I have to make the same decision on the murderer's behalf. It has to be the exact same thing. And maybe Andy and Renee only messed up a little bit. And the murderer in the eyes of man messed up a lot. But in order for me to be just, the blood of Jesus covers both equally. And so when you read that, and God goes, I am faithful and I am just to forgive. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Faithful and just to forgive. God is faithful, he is just, and he forgives. Y'all with me today? God is faithful, he is just, and God what? Forgives. And that makes zero sense to me. You know why? Because man's ways are not God's ways. Man's system, man's system of justice is not God's system of justice. And thank you, Jesus, that that's the case. Thank you when I stand before the throne room, I will have my list of sins out there, and then God will go, I've never seen those before. I have no idea what you're referring to. Why? Because God is faithful and just to forgive. That's a good, good God. And do you know that the enemy knows that God is a good God? Do you know that the enemy knows that, that, that God is a God who will chase after us for the sake of us being with him for eternity? Do you know that the enemy knows that God is faithful? Satan knows that he is just. And Satan knows that he will forgive us every single time and it gets on his nerves. And he will do anything that it takes to get us off track with God. And so every time a vision is fulfilled, every time a vision is given, there the enemy is standing there going, really? Did God really say that? Did God really use those words? What do you think God meant when he gave you that dream, that vision? What do you think he really meant? Do you think it's going to be today or is it going to be 30 years? from now? Do you think God is actually going to show up? Then he puts doubt and fear in our hearts. Yet God says, whatever I spoke, that it will be. That's our God. That's our God. And I love what it says at the beginning. If we confess our sins, 
We're standing before God and we're trying to hide our sins the best we can because we're humans and that's what we do. I saw something this week. It was really good. It was really, really good. It said this. It said, our sins look a lot worse on other people. I was like, I need to write that down. I didn't, but I said I needed to. That's good. Because we think, man, God forgave me, but it wasn't that bad. But we see someone else do it, and we go, how can God forgive a person like that? And I love what it said. It says, if you confess, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and you confess your sins, then God goes, I I forgive you. The blood of Jesus is enough every single time. Amen. If we confess, in other words, we're not even trying to hide it. We're not even trying to hide it. I did it. I did it. And yet he forgives. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. If you have your scripture, turn there real quick. I'm almost done. Then we're going to go eat something good out there, I think. I mean, I ain't done, but that's funny. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, it says this. It says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Now you got to understand how frustrating this verse is for the people who are hearing it for the first time. The dream was given to the true God followers for 4,000 years. They held on to it. They cherished it. They followed what God was asking them to do. They're the ones who pass it down from generation to generation. They're the one who hid it in their heart. They're the ones who really love God. And, and then you have the Gentiles who could care less about God and don't, don't know him, and they worship all kind of things. They, they, don't know, they don't even know he exists. They're not worried about him. And for 4,000 years, you have the ones who protected the things of God. And then when the dream shows up, the dream goes, oh, yeah, 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 I'm here for the Gentiles. I'm here for everybody else. I mean, I'm here for you, but I'm also here for everybody else. Can you imagine how frustrating that message is? Can you imagine? You probably would just want to give up. And yet he said, the dream is bigger. And I like what it said at the end. He says, for justice for the Gentiles. And I think there were some people in the back of the room. No offense to anybody in the back of the room. Mr. Kenny, I love you so much. But I think there were some people in the back going, oh, yeah. Jesus came for justice. And I know what justice for the Gentile looks like. Fire and brimstone. They're finally going to get the justice that I think they deserve. And then they stand there and watch Jesus like flip over tables and get all upset at their religious ways and then go preach to the Gentiles. And they're like, oh, he's deceiving them. He's going to get them. It's going to be justice. Get them, Jesus. Remember what his disciples said? Can we just call down flames of fire? And he goes, he just, Jesus just laughs at him. He said, you don't understand why I'm here, do you? Justice means I have to apply my blood the same to the Gentiles than I do to you. You know that person in your family who just gets everything wrong all the time and they're proud of it? The blood of Jesus applies to them the same that it does to you. 
And I know you've been coming to church and I know you love God and, and I know you want the next generation to, to love God and, and your family, you know, you've had to separate from those crazy people. Believe me, I have some of those in my family too. Okay, we got some pointing going on. You know, I'm just, keep it down. We, we are still in church. Some of y'all brought your crazy people with you. I get it. I get it. Finally there. The blood of Jesus in order to be justified has to be the same for them. In other words, here's what I want to say. The dream that God gave for you in your life, do you know that that dream is for the Gentiles too? In other words, I know we're all Gentiles in the room, most likely, but what I mean is even for those who don't go to church, even for those who don't love God, even for those who are running so far from God, do you know that your dream is for them too? And the whole purpose of your dream is to draw you closer into God so that you will understand that. And the whole purpose of God waking you up at 3 a.m. and giving you a song and a vision in your heart and, and, and giving you this dream about future generations is, is so they will be drawn closer to their Savior. To be known by us. For God to be known Better by us is the purpose of your dream. Man, he's good. He is, he is so good. Amen. Church, will you close your eyes this morning? Instead of receiving justice, they receive faithfulness. They received forgiveness, and it was just. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the God-given dreams that sustain us longer than we ever thought our life could be sustained for. Thank you, Lord, so much that you hide things deep within our heart that scream out from heaven to keep going. That God is with us, that, that our, in our future, God is there too. God is there today, but he's, he's there in the future too. And, and all along the way, we say, yes, but God did it. He said it, and then he did it. Yes, but, but God did it. Yes, but God is here, and, and he's still going to do it. And, and yes, but God. And so every time the enemy throws something in our face, and, and he says, look, your God's not walking with you, you say he's never left. Yes, but my God. The enemy would love nothing better than for you to be all excited about the triumphant entry, the crescendo of, of your dream. And then to seemingly make it look like it all came crashing down. And that's when he says, really? Is God really with you? I want to tell you, as we know, we get to celebrate next week. The story wasn't over. The crescendo hadn't even happened yet. Because Jesus went down and he stole the keys to hell and he overcame death and the grave and he rose again and he said salvation salvation is to everyone who will walk to me who confess their sins before me and accept me as their Lord and Savior everybody everybody the blood of Jesus is enough blood of Jesus is We love you so much, God. That you look at your people and, and you beg us to have compassion. You hide things deep within us that no one knows about, but we get to watch you do it. And I pray that, Lord, everything that you hide in our heart, that we take it seriously and we use it as it's supposed to be used, as it's intended, Lord, 
to sit and pray and, and to listen and, and to ask and to watch you move. In other words, to draw us closer to the Father every single day. That we hang on to your word. We hang on to what we know. We hang on to who we know our Father is. And we do so boldly. We walk into the throne room because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you. Just in your heart this morning, can you remind him to say, I love you? I love you, Jesus, my Savior. I love you, Father. Stand to your feet this morning. We're almost done. We're going we're going to go fellowship and have a good time together. With your eyes closed, can you sit there and pray to him this morning? Maybe you haven't prayed to him in a long time. Will you just start to pray? And it's okay to admit, just be like, Father, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Lord, you know what I've been going through. Will you just start confessing him this morning? Lord, you know where I've been, but I know who you are. Lord, you, you know my doubts and my fears, but I know who you are. Lord, Lord, you know the dreams you gave me when I was young. You know how I left them, but I know who you are. Lord, you know who I am, but I know who you are. You are good, and you are faithful, and you are just, and you are love. Every time, and you are my God, and I am yours. found yourself in a place of giving up on God, He has not given up on you. You found or you walked a journey away from Him. And you feel like you're in dry, barren, desert land. When you look to your left, God is there. He has never left you. Look to your right. God is there. He's always walked with you. When you turn around real quick to see how far away from God you've walked, you're face to face with your Savior once again. You can't outrun God. So if that's you, if, if with your eyes closed, I, I just want you to do this. Get this picture. If you find yourself in that position, I just want you to, in your mind, just look around and I want you to find him because he's there. Come on. Anybody need prayer this morning? If you, if you need prayer, will you raise your hand? Come on. We got somebody in the back. Need an elder right there, right here in the middle, back middle. Micah, right there to your right, gray jacket right behind you. Anybody else? Need somebody up front? Come on. Need an elder real quick. Perfect. Perfect. Anybody else? Anybody else this morning? Come on. On Palm Sunday, celebration of Jesus.
Lord, we love you. We're excited about you. We're ready. Lord, I pray that our adoration is not seasonal. God, I pray that I pray that this is just a spark for what you're going to do. Lord, I, I pray that it's it's just a continuation. It's just a renewal of the things you've called us to. This week, I pray that we can get into a mindset of prayer towards you, Lord, uh, a readiness for next week, a readiness for Easter. Lord, that the joy of our Savior is filling our hearts this week. Lord, that we're praying, we're worshiping through the week. We're again reminded of the magnitude of, of what you have done. Lord, we follow your journey this week and we recognize what's happening each day in the Easter season. And Lord, we choose to rejoice that it did not end on Palm Sunday. We love you so very much, Jesus, our Lord and Savior this morning, Lord. Bless us, bless us, bless us. Bless our time together, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit is out with us, uh, having lunch with us, Lord, having fellowship with us this evening. Lord, and I pray that we are so blessed because of it. Lord, in your precious holy name we pray. And the church said this morning, amen, amen. Y'all have a great week. Y'all come join us and get some free food. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast. If you would like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at life-church.org.